we have been going through a series being the church together. This is the next to last week. We, we are looking at this letter that Paul wrote that has many themes. And there's a, there's a lot of great stuff in here that we have looked at time after time after time. But um, the, one of the main themes is unity. And it comes up over and over again. And we'll see it again this week. And so uh, for Memorial Day, uh, I do want us to, to, to discuss the fact that in our country... There are great divides. And in our church, there are great divides. Sometimes in our families, there are great divides. But in our country, um, if you are a conservative, then you are, like, against liberals. And if you are a liberal, then, then you are against conservatives. And, you know, I'm not someone to speak to the, um, the citizens of this country as a whole. I'm no one, right? I'm one guy out of millions of, of guys in this country. Uh, but I do have a right to speak to you since that's what y'all hired me to do. And so just bear with me uh, this morning. And I do want to encourage you and challenge you uh, as we look at this passage on unity to not just consider it as we look at Yodia and Syntyche and, and the, the disagreement they had. And, and we're going to just skim over that and, and get to the final part of this passage this morning. But as we look at that, I don't want us to just think of conflict that we might have within our family or within our church, but let's think of it as a whole. What does conflict say about Christians in general? If, if we are part of the problem of the division around us. And it, now if we're doing everything we should do and we're doing it the right way and there's still division, then that's beyond us. We have no control over that. But uh, we have the ability to be of a different political party than someone else and still love them. We have the ability, and, and when I say love, I also mean treat them with respect, treat them with dignity. To be honest, if, if you turn on the TV, you don't see a lot of that. You, you just see people yelling at each other, and uh, it makes for good television, I guess. But that's that's the way they do, and... and you know, that's fine for TV. Actually, it's not, but we'll just say it is. Uh, but that's not fine for how we live our lives. That's not reality. We can't be that. We can't be that way toward each other. Now, can we disagree with people? Absolutely. And that's what we talked about last week, and we'll look at again this week as we move forward in, in this chapter. We can disagree with people, uh, but, but, but we can disagree with them in love and with respect and, and that kind of thing. Or, you, you, you know, you can just be an independent like me, and then no one likes you. Everybody's, you know, uh, the Republicans and the Democrats get mad at you. But anyway, I'm just picking. All right, let's look at Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start back in verse 1 because this is all connected. I'm going to quickly go through some of these verses. We're going to read them. I'll give brief reminders as we get to the um, final couple of verses that I want us to look at today. Uh, so, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so what we see here is that Paul began this chapter by looking back into the previous chapter because he uses this transition word, therefore. And what, what he's talking about is in the previous chapter, he mentioned that this is not our permanent home, that 
and we're not in our permanent bodies, that we have an eternity waiting for us, that we have the afterlife, heaven waiting for us. But um, unfortunately, he says in the, at the end of chapter 3 that that's not for everyone because some people, their gods are their bellies. They, they do what they desire. They don't uh, worship God. They don't love God. They just do whatever they want, whatever their appetite calls for is what they do. And so he says, uh, but that's not us. So therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm. We have to do what's right even when it's not easy. We're standing firm in him and, and we're believing in him. We're, we're, our faith is continuing. In verse 2, he says, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So here are these two women, and we talked about last week that he had worked with them. And we'll see that in just a second as we keep reading. And, and apparently there's some sort of disagreement that somehow it's made its way back to where Paul is in Rome. And so he is entreating them to agree in the Lord, to, to get along. Verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. So we, he doesn't name the true companion. We don't know who this is. But he's asking a friend of his that is apparently there at Philippi to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So Paul is saying, look, just as Clement was working side by side with me, these women were working side by side with me. And I know that their names are in the book of life. I know that they are, this, this just means that they have a relationship with God, with Jesus, that they're saved. He's saying, I know that, that they're saved and, and they have labored with me side by side. They have worked with me to share the love of Jesus, to spread the gospel. Just as Clement did, they've done it. So Paul is in, in encouraging the Christians to help these women get along in their disagreement. And he's also elevating their worth and their importance and, and their, their faithfulness in the past. And he's saying he believes that, that they are both Christians. Their names are in the book of life. But... Um, but he's wanting them to agree. That whatever the problem is, he's wanting them to move past it. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So, we're, we're, he's just continuing here. He's, he's going to give, as we will see in a second, he's given some steps. And the end result, if you follow these steps, is the peace of God. And so some of these things we see in the in verse 2, to agree. If, if we want to have this peace of God, then we need to agree. We need to make sure that um, that those of us who are not in the disagreement, that we are trying to be peacemakers, that we are trying to reconcile differences. And then verse 4, the, the second step uh, uh, after agreeing in the Lord would be rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then the third was let your reasonableness be known to everyone. How many of you have ever seen a disagreement or been a part of a disagreement where there was just no reasonableness involved in that disagreement? Where it was just emotions and anger and bitterness and whatever you can... Eventually, a lot of times people forget what they were even disagreeing about. But the disagreement is still there. And it's, it's not being handled well. And, and so there's, Paul is encouraging these women. And for all of us who are looking in at this situation, he's encouraging us to let our reasonableness be known. Okay? We can disagree, but...
But, you know, a lot of times, can't we see where other people are coming from? We should be able to see where other people are coming from. That doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but we should at least be able to empathize from with their point of view. And uh, several years ago, I started trying to do this with every everything in my life. When I would find myself getting upset with someone, you know, it's funny because social media like Facebook and Twitter, like, um, it really kind of begins to reveal in you how thin your skin is and how uh, how things need to change. And what I mean by that is you start reading on Facebook, and if you're not careful, everything you read can make you mad or get you depressed or get, make you down. And and and, uh, and uh, one th- there's some options there. Uh, one option is not to get on that stuff. Um, <laughs> that's a valid option. Uh, but I do like the connections that, you know, we get to make. And as Rose and I have moved, you know, from place to place, and I've been on mission trips in, in other countries and made these connections that I want to keep up with, I've just, I decided years ago that, okay, I'm going to do this social media stuff, but I've, I've got to figure out a way not to get upset. And so um, one of the things I try to do is I try to see where someone else is coming from. Because when they post something, my advice to you would be never post anything when you're mad. But anyway, some people do. When they post something, um, it's, it's helpful to think, okay, uh, why do they feel the way they do? Okay, what, what went wrong with their day? Something probably went wrong with their day. How many of you have ever gone through a drive through window or something and someone was incredibly rude to you? Has that ever happened to anyone? No one? Oh, okay. Uh, no, I'm just fake. A lot of people raise their hands. So when we go through those situations, of course our initial response, the, the temptation is, is to get mad or get snappy uh, or have an attitude in return. But if you think about it, those people were working at a drive-thru. Do you know what they go through every day at that window? I mean, that can help us in, in empathizing with why they might have had the outcome of a bad attitude. If we try to put ourselves in people's shoes, okay? If, if, you, um, if this can be the case also in a relationship... Uh, a lot of times we, we don't talk, like spouses don't talk about their problems. They don't talk about what's going on with each other. And, and they just, you know, ignore it. And th- some of this might sound familiar, Mo and Jill, we doing premarital counseling. But um, they just ignore it, and they think they're doing their spouse a favor because if you, you know, that you're just being the better person. You're not going to bring it up when they d- did that and it got on your nerves or it hurt your feelings. You're just going to... Bury that inside somewhere, and it'll be okay. Except it's not, is it? We, we're passive-aggressive. We're passive. We don't address the issue, and we just put it inside of us, and we think, okay, well, that's not going to bother us later. And then one day they say just the wrong thing, and we, we're aggressive, and we say things we shouldn't say, and we become this monster for a temporary moment that we shouldn't have become. And so we have to be careful um, when when we are find ourselves in a situation like that, because it is easy to not be reasonable. It is easy to just say what your emotions are telling you to say, which you should not do. You should really think about what your emotions are tempting you to say before you say them. Sometimes that emotional response is the right response. Not often, but sometimes it is. So we need to make sure that we're in control of our emotions um, this week, 
uh, John Michael, uh, he, he had a transition because he was getting out of school, you know. I guess I'm going to have to buy John Michael a toy this week because we have a deal where if I talk about him in a sermon, I have to buy him a toy. But anyway, um, so this week he had a, a rough transition because he's been going to school. He's there with his friends hanging out and, you know, uh, Tuesday morning he woke up and he was like, hey, dad, what are we going to do today? And I said, well, I'm going to work. He's like, oh, this is not going to be a good summer. I can tell already that things are not going to go my way. And so, of course, Rose, they did all kinds of fun things that day and did great, and he enjoyed it. Um, but he also had to do chores this week. You know, he's never cleaned a toilet, and he had to do that. Don't call the cops on us. I don't know if that's child abuse or not. But, um, you know, he's doing all these things. But he, he, John is, is an extremely well-behaved kid. And this week he had some problems with attitude and behavior but reasonably as an adult yeah i can get mad at him for doing that stuff and and jump all over him but i also i want to first i want my attitude to be in one of reasonableness of understanding he's having a hard time because he's going through this big transition of he's not in kindergarten anymore and he's he's got this summer break and john's never had a summer break because he was in preschool before and it just went all year round and so uh, we want to be reasonable. We want to know where the other person is coming from. And so, of course, agreeing in the Lord, verse 2, verse 4, rejoicing, verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And we need to remember that the Lord is at hand, that w- life is short. Who knows how long we have to make things right? I saw this morning where uh, this 30-year-old young woman from my hometown, I went to school with her sister, um, she died. The Lord is at hand. We, we, don't, we don't know when he's going to return or we don't know when we're going to draw our last breath. And so we don't want to leave a legacy of bitterness and dispute and division. We want to make sure that we are peacekeepers and that we are known for the unity that we bring, that we're known for the joy that we are, that we, it is to be around us or it was to be around us in that case. And so let your reasonableness be known. Verse 6, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. So here's another thing that we talked about last week. Not to be anxious about anything. And this is easier said than done. Because if you're like me, um, you have a, a hard time controlling your anxiety, your worries, you know. Well, if I do this, then that's going to lead to this. And if, if that happens, then that might lead to this. That's just the way my mind works. It's like always thinking of th- things ahead, which can be a blessing, but it could also be a curse because the anxiety that I have it can end up controlling my, my decisions. You know, the worry that I have can end up controlling my decisions. I make decisions that might not be what God desires, or what Jesus would do, or how he would have us live, because I'm worried about what the outcome might be. And so we have to be careful to not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so, rather than worry, what's the answer? Pray. If you haven't prayed about it, don't even think about it. Don't even worry about it, okay? Pray first. That should be our, our go-to um, reaction to conflict is prayer. And as we're going through these steps, it, it's easy when we're talking about let your reasonableness be known 
to remember, oh yeah, he's, this goes back to Yodia and Syntyche, and that this is about conflict, and we need to be reasonable in our conflict. But then, for some reason, when we get here, because, I guess because for a lot of us in here, we've heard these verses so many times out of the context, out of not connected to Yodia and Syntyche at all, that we, we transition and begin to think about this as just about worry in general, and it can be. I think it, this, these steps, and especially the ones that we haven't looked at yet that we'll look at today, these things can be extremely helpful in any scenario in our life. I believe that it crosses bridges into all sorts of things that we might be dealing with. But what I want us to remember is, is that this is specifically about conflict within the church. And so if, if we want peace, if we want unity, if we want God to use this church, if we want God to use us, then we have to remember that... We have to be part of the solution and the unity, not a part of the problem or the division. And the sad part is, is that I've seen churches where conflict came into the church. I've seen families where conflict came into the family, where um, nothing was going to change until death occurred. Maybe the death of a marriage. And it wasn't because it couldn't change. Because as we'll see in just a moment, there's always hope in Christ. God can, can, can heal a lot. But one or both of the parties have decided that there will not be, there will not be unity. There will not be reconciliation. And so we have to be careful to make sure that we can't control other people's responses to our disagreements or to what's happened in the past. Uh, but we can control what we say and do. And we can control our actions. And remember that the Lord is at hand. We, we are accountable for our actions. We will stand before him one day. And he, we will have to answer for, for any kind of sins that we have committed. Any kind of division that we have caused. And what, what if, think about whatever's going on in your family. Think about whatever's going on in the church or whatever the case might be. Where there's division. And you're standing before God, and he asks you, did you do everything biblically in your control and in your power to bring unity to that situation? What would the answer be? And so we have to consider these things. So, remember, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So we're going to pray, and we're not just going to pray, but something I neglected to mention last week, we are going to pray with this attitude, with this spirit of thanksgiving. We're going to be thankful as we're praying. And this is thankfulness in the midst of conflict, don't forget. This conflict hasn't gone away yet. Don't be anxious about anything, but but instead, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, and, and notice, notice that, and... Okay, it doesn't say that you automatically get this because you're a Christian. It says if you do this, 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 and this, then this will happen. And if you do these things, and the peace of God, the peace of God, this is a gift that all of us want. We want this peace of God. We want to be able to wake up in the morning and to just <sighs> be able to take a deep breath and enjoy life and know that things are good. That things are all right. 
And for some of us, it's been a long time since we've been able to feel that peace. That since we've been able to wake up and just feel that, that, that we're not in the midst of some controversy, some division, or at least that we've done things the right way. And so we want to make sure that we're doing things God's way. And if we're doing these things that he has said in this chapter, then we know that, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding... This is not a peace that makes sense that we should have. It shouldn't make sense that you could have peace in the midst of conflict. It, should, it doesn't make sense that we can have peace even if the argument is not settled. You've just agreed to disagree. Then it doesn't make sense that we should have peace when, when we're doing things in a way that's foreign to what our emotions and, and maybe even logic sometimes would tell us to do. But the fact is, is that God has said, if you do this and this and this and this and this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which doesn't make sense, which is supernatural, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we want that peace of God. We want our hearts and our minds to be guarded. Isn't that, when we're in conflict, isn't that the two things that Satan tries to go after? Our heart? the way we feel about things, our emotions, and our mind, our logic. So there was this time um, when I was much younger, and I was uh, a co-pastor at a church. I helped plant a church, and I I don't talk about this very often, and I'm not going to give all the details, but, you know, it, it applies to this. And I went back and forth on, you know, if I should share this or not. And, uh, and I didn't want to, but it's one of those things where I felt like I didn't want to, but I probably should. It fits. And so, um, th- so I helped plant this church, which just means start a church in an area that needed a church. And things were going great. And we started meeting in this first, we were meeting in, in uh, just a room of a building. And we outgrew that room. So then we, this large business in town let us use this large conference room. And so every Sunday morning we would go set up there and we would have our church in this conference room. And then we outgrew that. So then we uh, rented a building and we outgrew that. And so then we were meeting in uh, the movie theater in town. And God just kept blessing us and we kept growing. And we were a church of small groups. We, we would just we would have small groups going all over the place. And then Sunday morning we would come to worship together and people kept getting saved, and people, God kept calling people to ministry. And in a, in a span, one time, in a span of like three or four weeks, we had um, a, a, a couple go out as missionaries to Alaska. We had uh, a guy who um, was in our church who became a youth minister. Then next thing you know, here goes another guy who's going to be the worship pastor at another church. And just like that, um, f- five four or five of our core families had left the church for good reasons. They were going to be ministers in another place. Um, And our church, it wasn't like our church was declining numerically except for those couples, but those couples were faithful and they were givers. And so it went from us being able to afford having two staff members to really we could only afford to have one. And so um, the... The lead pastor of the church, um, we went to a leadership meeting, and he said, here's what we're going to do. Um, Philip's not going to be a pastor anymore. And he said more stuff, but that's all I heard. 
and he didn't come to me in private first. This is the first time I'm hearing about it in this meeting. And I'm just like trying not to weep because I was young and I didn't know what was going on. And uh, all, all I knew was that something was just said that I knew was going to radically change who I was. Now, that was my side of the story is that all I heard was him saying, you're, you're not going to be a pastor anymore. And I was upset. And now I didn't say, uh, over my dead body or anything like that. I was very, I just sat and listened and, you know, and then afterwards, um, I, I, I sat down. I didn't, you know, cause a fuss or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, and, and then eventually I, I got a job at an, another church because I, I needed to make an income. And, and so, um, I did that and it was great. Um, and I wasn't rude to the pastor. I mean, this pastor was important in my life, and he was a friend. But um, I didn't like the way he handled it, and because I didn't health, I didn't go to him and talk to him about it and handle it the right way. It caused bitterness for me. Like as that year went on, the bitterness grew stronger, and I didn't even like that person anymore, and I didn't. This person who had meant so much to me, I didn't even want to talk to him. And um, and then, unfortunately, for my emotions at the time, the Holy Spirit intervened. And after about a year, the Holy Spirit said, you know, you're not being reasonable. And, you know, um, it really doesn't matter... Um, what he does, that shouldn't affect your obedience at all. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll forgive him. I guess I'll move forward. I guess I'll try to reconcile. And I call him, and he said, I had no idea you were even upset about this. I had no idea that this wouldn't be something you wouldn't be excited about. Now, he handled it poorly, very poorly, okay, if... I'm not ever going to think he handled it the right way. We can agree to disagree about that, right? But uh, the fact of the matter is is that he was, I wasn't going to be the pastor anymore, but I was going to be the small group coordinator for our church, which for a church of small groups is one of the most important jobs you can have, and, and, it's extre- and it was my favorite thing to do anyway. And so really what he, when I went back and I tried to see things from his side, from his perspective, it makes sense. Five of our families left that were core givers. And, it, it, you know, it, it, um, some, some changes had to be made. I didn't have a family at the time. He had a family. So it made sense for me to be the one to take a pay cut, not him. And, or uh, he, he did take uh, some of a pay cut also. But um, when I went back and tried to see it from his side of things, then, unfortunately, when you're being reasonable it kind of changes the way you you, uh, see things sometimes. You actually see it from both ends of the disagreement. And so I don't know what was going on with EOD and Syntyche, but I do know that they were encouraged to agree to disagree and that um, when we follow these steps, the peace of God will be with us, and it does surpass all understanding. Like, it does do... When we're doing things God's way, it doesn't make sense sometimes. 
we shouldn't have peace in certain situations or circumstances according to logic, but God gives it to us when we do things his way. And it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so now, um, it's not as if that event never happened, because it did happen. And, you know, there's more to the story than what I've just said, but that's the, the basic premise of it. And what I know is, is that I probably would not work for that guy again because of the way he uh, failed to communicate with me and, and some other things. But I do love him. And, I, and if, if God called me to be a part of his church, I would happily go be a part of his church. I trust him as a pastor and as a leader, maybe not necessarily as a coworker. But I trust him, and I would, I could, I love him, and I live in unity with him. And, and if I was in his church, I would live with unity with him, um, because I know it's what God desires, and I know that really, when you follow these steps, it guards your mind and your heart. You start seeing things more the way that God would see things, and less the way that we want to see things, and it, things in us begin to change. So. I hope I hope this isn't coming across too formulaic, like this plus this plus this plus this equals this, and that's all there is to it, because there's emotions involved, there's heart involved, there's hum, humanity involved, um, but God has given us these steps that we can follow. And so, verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I'm going to make a quick connection before I talk about this in a different light. But don't leave this out of the disagreement that Yodi and Sinski had. Because... The finally brothers, and he starts giving these things, and we'll see in verse 9 that he even connects it back with peace again. But this is related to the conflict. And the title of this sermon and last week's sermon is to choose peace over conflict. And this is another way, just as we could follow the steps given earlier and the peace of God will be with you. This is another way where if you do these steps, something else will happen. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, not what your emotions tell you, not just one side of the story, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Now, again, I want to connect this to the the conflict before we think about it in a different light. The people that we have disagreements with. And I, I'm using, I've used the example of spouses, so I want to go back to that. Um, if you're married, didn't you marry that person for a reason? Didn't you love them for a reason? And so people change. Some th- things are out of our hands. Some people do not want t- to reconcile, and that is beyond us. And when that happens, then we have no choice sometimes but to move on. I get that. But in, in a case where we're part of the problem which is almost every single marriage, if not all, when there are things that we have done wrong, when there are things where we have uh, responded to our spouse's actions in a certain way, we're not just to think, or in church conflict, we are not just to think 
about what they've done wrong. We are not to just think about how they hurt us. Whatever is true, we're to think of the whole story, the whole picture. What caused them to be in the place emotionally and spiritually where they acted the way that offended you in the first place? We, we usually don't go there. We usually don't think about those things. I mean, the, even something as simple as the way we were raised, we, that person might not have known better than to handle conflict in that way. And so we have to think about the whole story. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, there are good things about a, a spouse or we wouldn't have married them in the first place. Whatever is honorable or, or in church conflict, we're, we're going to church with them. We need to think about what, what, are the good, what, are the, what is the good in this person? Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These are the things that we're to think of. And now let's use this and say is we're not in conflict. Um, there's a Bible study that I went through years ago called One-on-One with God, by Jerry and Marilyn Fine. And uh, in One-on-One with God, he calls this the principle of displacement. Okay, so if... If I had a little bit of tea in a cup and I put it in the sink and turned on the faucet and water began to fill that cup, what would eventually happen to that tea? Just be pushed out. The cup would overflow and more clean water would come in and the old stuff would go out. And so the principle of displacement says that you only have so much room in a given area for so much stuff. And in our minds, the principle of displacement says that we only have rooms for so much hatred or bitterness or whatever the case might be. And if we choose to fill our mind with whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If, when we choose to fill our mind with these things and these excellent things, then we don't have room for the bitterness to take root. We don't have room for us to live in perpetual conflict rather than unity. And so, wh- whatever you're worried about, this principle can, can be true. If, if I, There have been times in my life where I didn't know how I was going to pay my next bill. But what good does it do to obsess over that if I've done everything I can do? What good does it do to obsess over that? Rather than doing that, rather than obsessing over, I've got X amount of dollars in my checking account, and I have exhausted every avenue, and is my electricity going to be turned off? Is my vehicle going to be repoed? And, and instead of focusing on those things, which are valid concerns, how about we fill our mind with the fact that, hey, remember that, that time when God provided in this way, and this way, and this way? How about filling our mind with, even if they turn off my lights, I still have my family. Even if they repossess my car, I bet I have a friend who can give me a ride to work. Instead of us focusing and dwelling on the things that we cannot handle, let's focus on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Let's focus on these things, these good things. Let's fill our mind with this so that worry, there's no room for it. Concern, hatred, bitterness, there's no room for it. Because we're filling our mind with these things. And so, think about these things, but that's not all. There's another step. Verse 9, 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. This is Paul speaking. Paul who learned these things from Christ, who lived this out, who strived to be like Jesus all the time. He says, what you have learned and received and heard in me, heard and seen in me, practice these things. Do what Paul has taught you. Is, is When Paul's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, saying, the, the things that I've shown you, the things that I've taught you, do these things. Live them out. Obey. If we want this peace that we've been talking about in the midst of conflict, then we have to obey. We have to do these things that we know are right, even when they don't feel good to do. Even when it's not our preference to do. Because this is the result. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, let me tell you, I love when God gives me stuff. When he blesses me, I love when he blesses me. When he gives me peace, I love when I get the peace of God. When I can take that deep breath and know that everything is okay because he has given me his peace. When I have hope in the midst of despair, I love when God gives me hope. I love when he gives me hope. When I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill and all of a sudden money comes in, I love that. I love getting those gifts. This week, this person contacted us and um, they were uh, they're going to Thailand this summer. I had gone in the past and set up this mission trip for college students to go on in the future. And here's one of those students, and he's going. And um, I get a, I, I'm contacted this week, and I realize this guy, who's one of several students who are going to spend their summers in Southeast Asia, um, he, he can't afford to go yet. Like, he hasn't been able to raise his money. And so I, Rose and I immediately we said, okay, how much can we give him? How, how can we help out? And we, we came up with a number, and that was good. Well, then, like, the next thing we did was we went and checked the mail. And in the mail was a check for, like, $292. And I looked at Rose, and I said, well, I guess we should give him this much. <laughs> and, and we just, you know, passed that on to him. I love when God gives us gifts like that. You know, not only did he give us a gift to be able to help this guy, but imagine how excited this college student is going to be to know that here's 300 more dollars toward making this trip happen. And so I love when God gives me that. I, I, any gift that God wants to give me, I am a joyful participant in, in that gift. But you know what I like even more than the gifts are God himself. And how ridiculous would it be for us to say, no, thank you, I don't want the God of peace. Let me, let me instead, let me have my worry. Let me have my conflict. Let me have my divisiveness. Let me have these things rather than the God of peace. And of course, when, when your pastor words it like that, it sounds ridiculous. But over and over and over again, what do we choose? We choose the worry. We choose the pain. We choose the heartache. We choose to dwell in it. We, we choose to allow the bitterness to take root and to grow into something that turns things ugly. Where there are moments in our lives when we have chosen to give in to these types of temptations where people don't even want to be around us because all we can spew is bitterness. All we can spew is hurt and pain. 
and there's a choice. There is a choice. We don't have to be like that. And it's not anything in our power except to do these steps that are given here in Philippians chapter 4. But if we do these steps, then in God's power, a peace that passes all understanding, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be with us. And if we choose to dwell and to think on these good things, these holy things, these pure things, these honorable things, these true things, if we choose to dwell on those things and then we do what we know is right, we do what we have seen and heard, when we we do these things, then the God of peace will be with us. We don't just get His peace. We don't just get the gift. We get the giver of the gift. We get the God of peace. And that's what I want. That's why I cannot wait for us to be in heaven. Because we will get to dwell in the presence of God. But you know, we get to have a taste of that right now. The God of peace can be with us. There is no conflict that your marriage can go through that is outside the reach of God's healing. There is no conflict that whatever your parents have done to you, Whatever they have done to you, whatever your children have done to you, there is no conflict that God cannot heal. He can heal it. And it won't make sense. That's why it surpasses all understanding. But He can bring peace to our conflict. And what better way, what more amazing testimony to the world than God overcoming the conflict and the divisiveness that we have caused. It's not a testimony if I get mad at the guy I was talking about earlier and I leave his church and there's no reconciliation. That's not a testimony. That's what everybody does in the midst of pain and in the midst of conflict. There's no testimony if Rose and I, our first two years of marriage, when we were always (laughs) slam door. There's no testimony if we don't move past that. If we don't allow God... To grow us and to forgive and to grow in love and to grow in peace and to grow in these things. There's no testimony if it ends at that point. The testimony is how God brought us through that. Now, I'm not saying that God's done with you if you choose conflict over peace. Okay? Because God can forgive. God can work out conflict that was created and bridges that were burned years ago. God can use those things for His glory. He can use all things for His glory. But how much more should we obey Him? I want to know that my testimony is because of my obedience to Christ rather than my rebellion toward Him. And so where are you this morning? Where are you? Do you have the peace of God? And more importantly... Do you have the God of peace?